We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> Both in. Both hands, let's ride. Both hands, let's ride. Mic'd up, let's ride. <laughs> Hell is smooth, though. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to I can't. I'm just dying still. <laughs> Hopefully, you enjoyed our our new countdown tonight. Uh, if you if you come in and late, I'm I'm sorry you missed it. But uh, Tyler put uh, instead of our our regular countdown that's a minute long, looped in the uh, Keenan Allen audio, which was fantastic from his uh, mic'd up. So, uh, Tyler, thanks for that, man. How are you doing tonight? Doing very well. I've been having an absolute ball this past week, and really capping it off was that. Keenan Allen video just just so good and you can even tell like he is a musician and musical kind of guy because he was changing things up and doing his little acting and whatnot but then yeah. giggling through the whole thing uh it was classic Keenan Allen and it was so funny I was I mean, everybody loved it people across the NFL were loving it it was fantastic loved that segment yeah it really was uh Keenan is so good in the mic'd up situations and uh that was when you mentioned that you wanted to loot this in, I was like, okay, we have to do it today while it's uh, still in people's memory. And, you know, I couldn't even and couldn't even get through the welcome in. So uh, welcome <laughs> to the Guilty as Charge podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Alex is here as well, man. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Uh, with our luck, the Chargers are going to copyright strike that and <laughs> we'll have to edit it in Canva somehow. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all good. We'll, uh, we'll trim it up uh, on YouTube or something like that. So um, great stuff from uh, Keenan Allen. So uh as we said on twitter we are here today to talk about of course the latest news and notes uh from charters training camp i'm excited to get in to a lot of this obviously we haven't been together uh since saturday and the chargers have had at least the chargers have had three practices to uh talk about two of them were padded today was not a padded practice and there were some uh veterans who took the day off as well so we'll get into some of that uh, we do have to start with some injury news and notes, unfortunately. Um, linebacker Drew Tranquil still not practicing with the team due to his uh, groin injury. Uh, Kyle Manoy also had a rest day today. So um, obviously Tranquil has not practiced for quite a while, but quite a while. It's only been a few days. But 
Um, in his absence before today, it was Kyle Van Noy and Troy Reader getting the uh, getting the reps. After Kyle Van Noy got his uh, rest day today, it was Nick Neiman working with the first team defense today alongside uh, Troy Reader. So, Alex, we'll start with you. Um, any concern here about Tranquil's injury? Do you expect this to be something that potentially causes him to, you know, go down the the depth chart at all? Where are you at with uh, Tranquil's injury right now? No, I don't think it causes him to go down the depth chart because their depth chart is really thin at the position, right? Like, I don't <laughs> sure. think Nick Neiman's going to suddenly leap him. I don't think A-Man Ongbong Bumiga is suddenly going to leap him. So his job is safe as, uh, you know, middle linebacker too, as long as Kyle Van Noy's there. Um, it, the concern to me is just the groin injury and the nature of it and the fact that, you know, you kind of want to play it safe because it's the preseason, but also now you're down Kenneth Murray. Now you're down uh, Drew Tranquil for at least a little bit here. Uh, and so now, you know, like today, Troy Reader and Nick Neiman are your starting middle linebackers, you know, a month out or so from the season. Not great in terms of like defensive planning. Again, not the end of the world either, because we know eventually Kenneth Murray will come back. Eventually, Drew Tranquil uh, pretty quickly here should come back. Uh, also, just a little bit nervous just because, I mean, groin injuries, hamstring injuries have a pretty high reoccurrence rate. Um, so that's something that the Chargers, of course, with Staley's focus on sports performance, will uh, work on in general. Uh, not a high level of concern for me, but just not good. And the more names you see, you know, piling up on the injury report, it reminds you football's back, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there was a certain comforting, warm feeling of seeing the injury list start to be like close to double digits. Like, ah, okay, Chargers football is back. Uh, as far as Tranquil goes, it's tough to gauge whether I am going to supposed to be concerned or not. Like, yeah, him sitting on multiple practices, not great. At the same time, how important is all of this? Is it maybe even more important to get someone like Nick Neiman, Troy Reader, Amen? Um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Damon Lloyd. You know, these guys more involved, maybe. So it's just a problem because he's just a guy who's always been injured at some point. You know, whether it's season ending by the yeah. second play or missing four games. Last year, he started, you know, I'm sure you watch this now watching the defense. He started on a tear. Then he got hurt, I believe, one of the final plays against the Browns. And it really wasn't quite the same for a while after that. Maybe he kind of returned to form towards the end of the year. But he never really fully recovered and reestablished himself. So I would hope that this coronary injury doesn't bug him too much. As far as the depth chart goes, if it were more of like a 1A, 1B with Troy Reader, then maybe I'd be more concerned for his job security. But it's been pretty definitively Drew Tranquil as the linebacker two, I guess, as that will linebacker. So not yeah. super concerned. If, though, it does give Nick Neiman more run with the groups, with even a starting group, no less, I'm fine with that. I'm I, Nick Neiman, to me, is starting to maybe be what kind of Braden Fajoko has been for us, which is like, okay, the numbers match, like the film matches, you know what's there. Yeah. Why is he not getting more playing time in the preseason? He was outstanding. He led every NFL defender, rookie, veteran, whatever, any position in run stops, you know, uh, two pressures, one sack or whatever it was. I want to see him get more run. So it's not the worst thing that he's hurt. If it gets more guys, more playing time for a little bit. Great. Um, that said, it, it is hopefully something that gets resolved sooner rather than later. I do want to see him somewhat healthy because I just, I really would really not want to see the linebacker rotation already be down two of their initial projected starters. Now with Kyle Van Noy, it's yeah. a different role now, but you know, 
Yeah, we'll uh, we'll certainly talk about Kenneth Murray. Brandon Staley did uh, give a little update on him as well. Um, with the Tranquil thing and their, their situation at linebacker, I'm almost at the point where I am kind of grateful for it, for him being injured, especially if, you know, you're taking Kyle Benoit and, you know, today he's he's given, he's getting the day off or maybe gets back to getting some edge reps because then you get those young guys a lot of reps. And, you know, the Nick Neiman thing is interesting because up until this week, it had been Amen and even Damon Lloyd working with the second team and Nick Neiman was working with the third team uh, when everybody was healthy outside of Kenneth Murray, of course. So Neiman getting these first team reps, I think is super important for him. He's been fantastic. I think he had a, a sack yesterday in practice, according to Daniel Popper, uh, two sacks looks like Tyler says. Um, so he's, he's having a good week and I think they rewarded him for it. And Damon Lloyd also has had uh, a lot of good practices flashing some potential. So haven't heard a ton about Eamon Ogbong Bamiga, but you know, these younger guys are, are uh, taking advantage of their reps. And so, um, you know, do Tranquil being out not necessarily the worst thing in the world. My question only would be, I don't know the nature of who was in what spot in when Neiman was in and reader was in, was Neiman the mic then? Cause readers been playing a lot of will or was it flip flopped? I don't know. Actually with Neiman today, I assume reader was taking the mic calls. Okay. That's what I would, yeah. would guess. But of course, readers not been playing that. So I was yeah. just curious. Okay. That makes sense. I think they, I think they have kind of a defined skill set there, which is why, yeah, it automatically went to like Kyle Vinoy and as the mic and Tranquil yeah. stayed at the will. Mm-hmm. So you lose Tranquil, you put in Troy Reader, and I mean, there's some flexibility there. But uh, I, I think Neiman and Tranquil are clearly, clearly like uh, will linebackers, whereas Neiman or excuse me, as uh, Reader and Vinoy can kind of do both spots. But I don't really want Neiman and Tranquil to be kind of on the strong side in the middle of things as opposed to the other guys. Yeah, makes sense. And listen, I think we're headed to the point, just like Kaiser White, if not more obvious, that they are going to move on from Tranquil next year. They can't afford him next year. So I'm happy to see Neiman kind of work his way into this role that, I mean, maybe he is starting next year. So I mentioned Kenneth Murray. Um, We'll talk about him, and then we'll mention some of the other guys in mispractice today. Um, Brandon Staley was asked about his situation because I guess, uh, according to Daniel Popper, Kenneth Murray was seen off to the side today with pads and a helmet on, uh, which I thought was very interesting. He was uh, only doing individual things. So um, they are starting to ramp up his recovery process. However, Brandon Staley said that they're still not close to seeing him get on the field, but he is making progress. So um, he maintained again that their goal has been to get Murray back on the field during training camp. And he still thinks that is a realistic goal. So, uh, that is where Kenneth Murray is at in his recovery process. I hope it's a realistic goal. Um, <laughs> I, I think we're really a month away. I mean, they said four to six weeks last week. Uh, so if we're working off of that timetable, that still puts us the week before uh, the Raiders game in week one. I, I don't know at this point. Um, and with the linebackers already kind of as thin as they are, makes you more worried about it. Um I guess it's good to hear that he had pads and a helmet, but he's also not going to play for a while. So, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, nothing new, I guess, we learned today other than there's some optimism he you know, can be back before the season starts, and that optimism is still there. Um, but I think as the days wane on and, you know, Kenneth Murray's, like, just 
kind of doing his thing to the side or uh, just not really like, I mean, clearly he's with the team in the study room and stuff like that still, uh, but still being on the pup list, you know, uh, I guess a week out from the first preseason game, not like he was going to play anyway. Uh, just not great all around. Yeah, for me, I'm just happy to see it. I'm, I'm glad he's ramping sort of up to whatever it's going to be. Sure. Uh, honestly, watching Kyle Van Noy out there, I would be very concerned about my job security if he's only set and defined as the mic for this team and if Tranquil is healthy and as, as the weak side linebacker. I would get out there too and, and show that I'm somewhat trying to get back. Um, he is a tough guy. I know he's played through injuries. He's fought through some stuff. Um, so I expect him to get out there maybe faster than they expected as long as it's within his power where the surgery was not. Um, but, you know, to me, I, I'm glad he's getting healthy. That's great. He needs to be. He absolutely needs to be. Uh, I just don't know if Kyle Van Noy is as good at Mike linebacker and as Staley's guy and a guy they paid you know, a decent amount of money to. What are the odds, especially of Tranquil being maybe hit or miss here, that Murray switches back to Will? Well, that's what he was doing last year because last year Kaiser White right. was the Mike linebacker from the from the start. So I think Murray could do both. I, I believe that he can play in the middle and play in the trenches, but um, I, I think it's easier for him from a mental standpoint to play as the weak side linebacker where you're just playing a little bit more free, being more of a space and chase linebacker as opposed to you know taking on lead blockers, having to you know sift through all this traffic and things like that. So there is an advantage for Kenneth Murray to play the weak side linebacker. And I think, you know, it's got to be a really tough situation for him and the team in terms of balancing, you know, okay, we want you to get back on the field, but also we have this long-term investment into you. And, you know, the, the sports performance has been very clearly, you know, patient with injuries. And so I'm sure that it's a delicate balance in, in rushing him back and not rushing him back and, and hoping that he's able to recover uh, long-term from this injury. So the other injuries, of course, uh, should mention that Donald Parham has been back on the field. Uh, can't wait to talk about that tight end position uh, later today. So he looks healthy, ready to go. Um, not practicing today were Tavon Campbell, or Tavon Campbell, excuse me, Trey McKitty and Jason Moore, as well as Mark Webb. Uh, Brandon Staley did not specify what kind of injuries they had, but they are all dealing with soft tissue injuries and they're all considered day to day. So uh, some of that could just be that they're dealing with a little tight hamstring, tight quad, something like that. Um, it, it seemed like today was kind of a low key practice in general. A lot of veteran guys taking uh, rest days during the 11 on 11 period. So um, that could be just them dealing with some soreness from training camp, having two padded practices, two very intense padded practices, and uh, the team not really, not wanting to risk any further injury. McKitty's been dealing with the same injury, right? Because I think yesterday he was also out. Am I wrong? Um, Maybe I'm wrong. I think McKitty I was practicing yesterday. Yeah, I don't remember him being out yesterday. Never mind. Well, either way, I, I, it seems like there's a bit of an opening here for Hunter Campmore. I don't know how much of one but you pointed out the three tight end sets today that did involve Camp Moyer. Granted, Everett was not in that group because he was you know, resting or had to sit out or whatever. Um, it does seem like there is an opportunity for Camp Moyer here, especially with McKitty. You know, maybe some sort of injury here. Yeah, I think the door's still pretty closed on Camp Moyer unless they keep like a tight end four and, and go that route. Because um, when McKitty comes back, I mean, 
they they've messed a pick into them. I I don't think they're gonna give up too quickly on him. Um, well, yeah, I don't mean like that. I just mean yeah, like a fourth tight end. Yeah, the door certainly open for that possibility. Um, given the fact that they kept four tight ends last year, so who knows? Um, not not a whole lot, I guess, to say other than the secondary is a little bit concerning at this point. Um, because now you have Tavon Campbell, uh, Mark Webb. I'll go down. Uh, you know, we'll talk. We'll talk about Michael Davis a little bit later. Not a great performance from Michael Davis uh, to this point in training camp. So yeah, the secondary definitely looking a little thin. Obviously, Derwin not out there for, for contract reasons. So uh, it just feels like much like the linebacker room a little bit. Maybe the secondary guys are all back tomorrow and they're all practicing, but it just feels like a get through it stage of camp uh, for for all those guys. So you know that's. Really the thing to watch going forward and just hope that everyone's healthy and there's no injuries because Brandon Staley did really tuck up uh, Mark Webb uh, quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, it would really be a shame to see him, you know, be just plagued with injuries through the training camp again. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been really excited about Mark Webb and, and uh, you know, his potential this year. Um, Raheem Lane, the uh, undrafted free agent, is kind of flashing as well, according to Daniel Popper. So, the safety depth this year is really, really good, I think. Um, but hopefully Webb is is able to get back. Obviously, he had the knee injury. Uh, so I, I hope this is nothing related to that. Um, so, of course, in terms of news, I, I'm seeing people talk about it in the chat. So Derwin James obviously has not signed his extension yet at this point. Um, we had heard that potentially it was maybe a week, this past weekend thing, still not necessarily happening. Again, <laughs> I don't need to see Derwin James on the field to know that he's going to be ready to go. Um, and, you know, Tyler's talked about this yet. He's had some issues with injuries in training camp. So I, I don't have any quarrel with what is happening right now. Derwin is still on the field. He's still coaching up his guys. He's still being a good teammate. Um, the deal is going to get done. I think everybody involved has, has said as much. Um, Arjun has kind of speculated that they're maybe potentially dealing with just the year-to-year structure in terms of guaranteed money as opposed to like the actual number and things like that. So of course I wish the deal were done could, could stop talking about it in a negative connotation on Twitter. Um, but it, it's going to get done. I think we just need to be a little bit more uh, patient. You know, this is a top of the market deal and sometimes these take time. I mean, Keenan Allen's contract didn't get signed until uh, leading up to the second week of the preseason that year. So, um, just be a little patient. It's going to get done. Don't go to worst case scenarios and talk about Eric Weddle because these situations are not alike at all. Yeah, Twitter.com is not exactly a place where patience is a virtue when it comes to tens <laughs> of millions of dollars being on the table. True. Um, so I, I think that that's part of our problem here. Sure. Um, I still have full confidence that Derwin James' deal gets done. Chargers can't afford it from their end to not have him, you know, uh, for the long term. Uh, I think that, you know, Obviously, you know, he's going to play uh, under full contract this year as well. So it just makes too much sense for both sides to not agree to a deal um, at this point. And it seems like everything's amicable. Uh, Derwin James would not, if he was in a real contract dispute on the Chargers, be, you know, coaching up Raheem Lane in practice. (laughs) Right. And and being off to the side with Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa working on edge stuff. Right. So uh, if this wasn't an amicable situation, Derwin James would either, you know, not be there like uh, Melvin Gordon a few years ago, or, uh, you know, he would be off to the side, just not interacting with anyone. 
right? So uh, I think pretty clear from all parties, all sides involved that this will get done. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I almost think everyone at this point in, within their own knowledge of whatever they think they know or, or do know, everything else is mostly sorted out. It just comes down to the injury guarantees and just the, the little things that are slightly different than Minka's Fitz, you know, Minka, Fitz, Minka Fitzpatrick's <laughs> contract, you know, where he's played, you know, 2000 more snaps. So it's just like, okay, you need to just make more money than the next guy. And Derwin James will make more money in terms of APY than Minka, but it's, it's different when it comes to guarantees. You know, the chargers have been giving a lot of guarantees, but there's also this whole, you know, injury concern in years, you know, I forget what Arjun was saying three and four or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I'm not concerned. You know, he's out there working pass rush drills with Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. I'm not worried at all. I would just like to get it done so I can move on with my life. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. So uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about some players who have stood out. Obviously, uh, we wish that Tyler could be there in person to confirm some of this, but we have to go off of uh, beat writer information over the past couple of days. So we'll talk about some of guys who've been standing out really quickly. Shout out to Carter for the <laughs> super chat. Very interesting question here in terms of uh, Jerry Tillery, but uh, appreciate the uh, extra super chat. So uh, any of you guys have anything to say about Jerry Tillery and his odds of winning MVP? I think Tillery's odds of winning MVP are the sixth longest in the defensive tackle room. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, so there's a have, chance. Yeah, there's a chance. <laughs> there's but, a chance. <laughs> you would have like Sebastian Joseph Day at like 900 to one. And then you have like <laughs> Braden Fajoko at like 1400 to one. And you just have like Jerry Tillery at like 2700 to one or yeah. something like that. Oh, man. Good stuff. Uh, so I, I kind of wanted to frame this next part of the conversation in terms of like checking in on the position battles that have been happening that we talked about. Of course, we did a full preview of every single position battle. And so for me, I, I would like to start this conversation with the third cornerback on the depth chart. Um, I, I think we all kind of agreed that that was essentially going to be Bryce Callahan. That was our pick. And we've heard a lot of plays being made from every single <laughs> Every single cornerback has made a lot of good plays on this team so far. We talked about Dean Leonard. Tyler had his great interview. Bryce Callahan is showing up every single day, and he's making great plays on the ball. He's making tackles mm -hmm. in space. It was a little unfair today of him. You know, They're asking him to cover Donald <laughs> Parham, who's like literally a whole foot taller than him. But yeah. Bryce Callahan is has been such a good presence for this team so far, showing up, in, like I said, in every single which way. And I, there's no question to me that he is far and away the corner three of choice over Michael Davis, who we have heard nothing about in terms of positivity. He was getting burned by Joe Reed in practice yesterday, according to Daniel Popper, which is not necessarily, I know we all like Joe Reed, but that's not where you want to be. So this cornerback three battle is not really much of a battle right now. And part of that is because Michael Davis is struggling and that is unfortunate in and of itself. But Bryce Callahan has been extremely impressive so far throughout camp. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it's a debate anymore. Bryce Callahan is very clearly quarterback three. Um, maybe there was something to start camp, but it sort of just felt that way coming in. And, and maybe the writing was on the wall when the Chargers built that contract into Michael Davis anyway. And Brandon Staley drafted Asante Samuel Jr. without even seeing him play. And, yeah. you know, just within the past year, you have J.C. Jackson, Bryce Callahan being added. Um, and then Dean Leonard and John Taylor in the draft, right? So, I mean, Brandon Staley has been very upfront about 
without saying it, what he thinks about Michael Davis and what he thinks about the cornerback room uh, and where it needed to go. So uh, I don't think there's any chance that Michael Davis is cut just because they still need him. Uh, you know, whether it's right. talking about Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey and how he helps in those matchups and, and just for depth in general, it doesn't make any sense to cut him at this point. Uh, you just kind of be, you know, cutting your nose off the, your face, uh, you know, when that comes to that kind of stuff and, and shaving your depth away um, versus cutting him next off season. But yeah, no, um, you know, he also did get burnt by DeAndre Carter for a touchdown today. Would be remiss if I did not point that out. Uh, that was one of his. <laughs> We're going to talk about DeAndre Don't today. Worry. Sorry, I get a little carried away. Sorry, got excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I. It, it's it stinks, I guess, to hear that there's nothing positive about Michael Davis. But I can't say I'm too surprised because we saw how he fit out of this daily scheme last year. We saw sure. that daily brought in cornerbacks like Bryce Callahan to fit more into what his vision and what his mold for this team is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's very clearly uh, Bryce Callahan at this point. Yeah, it, it wasn't minicamp. It was the first day of camp. Davis was clear. Like, it's it's very clear there's a cutoff. There's a starting three, and there's a next rotation of guys. Michael Davis is not part of that starting unit. I will say through camp, like, the, the gimme interception that he had before that, I thought he was going to jump a route. He just, the ball went into the dirt. I thought that he could have had a pick six before that. It, the thing with Davis, really, and it's so strikingly obvious what Staley wants and asks of his DBs, Davis is just not making plays on the football. Everybody else right. is. Everybody else has. And that doesn't even mean that Davis has been bad. I have never, like, watching practice so far, I never said, oh, God, there goes Davis getting roasted by this player. Sure. I have yet to sure. really see that. But you're just not seeing those what Staley is valuing right now in his scheme and with these players, which is ball production. Everybody. I think everyone has an interception, it feels like. Tavon Campbell, great interception. Callahan's got one. Everybody's got one, except Davis, I'm pretty sure, so far. Not that that's the most important thing, but it just he's not getting those positive plays. And if you're not making like a positive difference, like the offense is designed to beat you, the defense. In the NFL, the offense is going to score. It's intended to be like that. So you have to make these positive plays, interceptions, passes broken up, whatever, when you can. And if you're not doing that, which Davis didn't do last year, what good are you like the offense is going to beat you anyway so if you can't even make the positive plays getting your hands on the ball you're not really going to be part of the starting unit and he hasn't been um i'm really looking forward to the scrimmage like the scrimmage to me and i, I yeah. suppose the preseason depending on how much he plays but the scrimmage is going to tell me like okay you know what does it actually look like when davis is in a game setting now in this second year of the system sort of thing like maybe you know he's getting burned by these guys but you know it's not fair like you rotate in covering guy i've never covered before or it's 1v1s and it, it's tough because these last two days we hear davis struggling but i haven't been there so i don't really know right. what the context really is for these so i would have i would love to see at the scrimmage how he holds up um that said everyone's people are talking about trading him cutting him he's still very valuable like i, I still do not yeah. want to drop off from him to somebody else just because we cut or, or traded him so um Yes, he is playing special teams, by the way. Well, I don't know if he's playing special teams for Dual 12, who's asking in the chat, but all the DBs that aren't JC Jackson are being asked to contribute on special teams. So, yeah, I think Michael Davis will be headed for a, a strong special teams role. Yeah, Popper said that he was working as a gunner today, along with all the other DBs they mentioned, as well as Palmer, Guyton, mm -hmm. um, I think DeAndre Carter as well. Um, so he'll have a role there, but... You know, and, and to be clear about Michael Davis and him, him, it's not necessarily that he's struggling. Again, like it sounds like he struggled the last couple of days, 
but you know we the corner position like in order to make plays like you have to be throwing the ball like people have to throw the ball your way and we just haven't heard of that really happening all that much up until the last two days so he could have certainly been having good practices just not getting targeted that that is also a possibility to be fair to him um but like alex is saying i think you know we're, we're trying to head into this conversation in this camp in this training camp with okay we're like we're gonna have a legitimate competition and uh you know ronaldo hills talked about this a bunch of times like guys did not have that threat of competition last year and well this year they do and everybody else is making all these plays and dean mm-hmm. leonard is is looking great and, and earning reps with the first team and you know jaw taylor you know gets a whole 10 minute uh practice session with brandon staley and then comes out and makes some plays and Taywan Campbell made some plays yesterday in practice. So I I hope that Michael Davis comes back the rest of this week and particularly in the scrimmage, like Tyler mentioned, as somebody that is going to make some plays on the football, make some plays as a tackler, because he like he is valuable. Like if Michael Davis is your fourth corner, your cornerback room is doing pretty good. If Tavon Campbell's your fourth corner or Dean Leonard's your fourth corner, then I think we have some some question marks there. But you know, Michael Davis can still bring some value, even if he's overpaid technically by, you know, the position standards. Yeah, uh, just the clarification on the Gunner thing, because Popper published this thing like four minutes ago. Um, it was uh, Davis, Kimon Hall, Jalen Guyton, Dean Leonard, uh, John Taylor, Josh Palmer, Joe Reed, JT Woods, uh, in terms of who was in the Gunners. Yeah. And then, as we said earlier, Hunter Camp Moyer filled in for uh, Tranquil when it came to uh, special teams duties. So what's being a a gunner is, is, uh, I know we don't get (laughs) too excited about special teams, but yeah, a four, two JT Woods being gunner makes too much sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were talking about like Kimon Hall and Jalen Guyton. Like I would totally understand both of those, but (laughs) if JT Woods could play gunner, just let him do it. Um, that would be really fun. But yeah, no, I, I think what Tyler said about ball production definitely is true. Um, Michael Davis is not going to be like the cornerback who's always like breaking up passes, right? I mean, he sort of came up in this Gus Bradley system where it's just more one-on-one coverage, right? If the ball like gets thrown your way, a la, you know, the Tom Brady interception, then, you know, you make a play on that. But aside from that, um, you know, it, I do think the ball production has been lacking, which is why uh, Staley has favored Asante Samuel Jr. and Bryce Callahan and J.C. Jackson and all these guys who are going to create interceptions. Michael Davis's only interception was created by Jamar Chase last year, um, who dropped the yeah. ball into Michael Davis's hands. The weirdest right. play. I watched that on film the other day, yeah. and I was like, "How?" <laughs> I still don't understand how it happened, but I'll, I'll take it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, Michael Davis has never been an interception creator, right? Like when he was at his peak in 2020, it was more just like he's your one-on-one coverage guy and. Uh, when he's like really good at that in a 4-3 system, it's going to look great uh, on film. But um, I, I do think what Tyler was pointing out and just the amount of interceptions he's not going to create, the amount of pass breakups he's not going to create, it's not necessarily a necessity for him because like Steven said, that could just be that he was playing good coverage and he didn't get targeted. But And that'll be the case in some games. But he got burnt more last year than he did in 2020. Um, so that that's mm-hmm. another like thing to point out um, in addition to not creating ball production in a Staley system. Uh, so, yeah, uh, other than that, I, I guess there's not much to say about Michael Davis, really, other than he's still obviously a vital part of this team, like we said, uh, in this quarterback room. But, yeah, definitely, definitely stock neutral or stock down to this point. So apparently uh, Michael Davis jumped offsides uh, on defense. 
Uh, I think that was Jamal. Would that be Jamal Davis? But then it says Davis jumped offsides and made contact with the receiver on the outside. Oh, I misread that then. So <laughs> never know with Staley. Maybe he's training Jamal <laughs> Davis to be a corner. Never know. <laughs> True. Outside <laughs> corner. Yeah. Yeah. Take that 245 frame and go play some outside <laughs> corner. Um, all right, next next position battle that I wanted to shift to is kind of the defensive tackle room. Uh, another day, another Brayden Fajoko tackle for loss. Our guy has just been on fire recently. And similarly to Michael Davis, we have yet to hear of any splash plays being made by Jerry Tillery or Morgan Fox for that matter. But Brayden Fajoko showing up every single day and uh, putting in some work. So, he got some run with the first team uh, one-on-ones, according to Daniel Popper, on the first day of pads, which we love to hear it. You love to see that. Um, and, he, you know, he's dancing at practice with Keenan Allen. He's dancing at practice with Sebastian Joseph Day. So, uh, Brain Foco living his best life right now, and uh, you love to see it. Oh, my gosh. I love to see it. Man, like, we've been waiting for something like this. Like, we just we talked about, even when they signed Morgan Fox, like, there's going to be competition for a spot and maybe like just maybe they're going to let the best now uh, granted they could still cut Fahoko. This still might completely happen, but it looks like they're allowing competition and like some guys are really stepping up because of it. And Fahoko's one of them. Like you said, he's, but he's out there having fun. He's dancing with players. He's having a ball. And then he puts his hands in the dirt and is absolutely killing. Will clap Brendan Hymas right now. I, would say he's MVP of training camp so far. I don't think he can be at his position, but in terms of like consistent production on defense and being like taking advantage of your snaps, he's been one of the best guys out there. And if they go a route where they go with Christian Covington, like, do I think they're going to cut Fahoko for Jerry Tillery? I don't think so. I think those are two different players and situations. Right. Right. But if they, at this point, I will be distraught if they cut Fahoko for Covington because he's a veteran and they like him or something like he to me now has this roster spot close to locked up. If it's based on the merit of their performances so far in camp, I think Fahoko has the shot this, this locked up right now. And I love to see it now on the flip side though, I will to your other point, I'm a little surprised. I haven't seen anything from Morgan Fox yet. Like I don't, yeah, I miss things. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's on the far side of the field and certainly, you know, in the preseason scrimmage, maybe, We'll see more from Morgan Fox, but it's been pretty quiet so far. Like, I guess, thankfully, you know, we so in when they're doing their base three, four initially, it was kind of a Fox Tillery rotation. But now because it's they're just in nickel all the time, Fox isn't really doing anything with the first team. So it's just Fox and Tillery with that second unit in base nickel. And I just I'm not hearing anything from either of them. Like nobody's separating from the other person. It yeah. might as well be Otito at this point. Not really, but like <laughs> no one's really doing anything. So I, I don't, I'm not concerned. I'm not hearing anything from Morgan Fox. Not yet, but I'd like to see something. I, I don't even think in any of Popper's pieces, Fox has been mentioned. Like he's just kind of there. Same with Christian Covington. Sometimes it's better to be there though than be there for the wrong reasons, which is why we've heard Jerry Tillery's name come up, uh, whether it's almost hitting Justin Herbert uh, or getting thrown to the ground by Zion Johnson. That's true. That is very true. So there are, there have been more negative plays. I mean, again, this is all, I'm not there. I'm just reading things, but we have heard those things about Jerry Tillery in a way that 
even though Morgan Fox is not breaking away from the pack or anything, uh, I, I do think the coaching staff notices those things as well. Um, I, I guess going to Jerry Tillery first, I'm starting to think there's a real possibility he's cut. Um, really? All right. I am all, I'm there. Um, I guess, you know, in a very Michael Davis kind of way that we framed that discussion, like we've always just been like, oh, he's going to be on the team, right? And I still think he's going to be on the team because of what they need at corner and because of, you know, how his physical skill set separates from other guys. What does Jerry Tillery do that Joe Gaziano can't? Well, that's a different story. I, I, that's, I yeah. <laughs> but, that but argument, like, I understand. No, 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 no. But but but, it, but it's the same question, right? If you're keeping like those defensive tackles and you're like, okay, well, you know, we're obviously Morgan Fox is making the team, but it's, it's Jerry, you know, who would you take? Jerry Tillery or Joe Gaziano, right? Like for, for a lot of reasons like that, for the answer to that coaching staff, it might be Jerry Tillery. But we've heard more positive things about Gaziano so far. We've heard more positive things about guys that are down the roster who are, you know, pass rushing DTs than we have about Jerry Tillery. Uh, and they turned down the fifth year option. It would be another thing if they accepted it and we would know he was a virtual lock to make the roster. They have no financial ramifications from cutting Jerry Tillery now and other players like Braden Fajoko, like Joe Gaziano, or are outperforming him at camp. Um so the fact that he's only here on a one-year deal, effectively, I still, again, if you put a gun to my head, if I had to make a bet, I would still bet that Jerry Tillery makes the roster. But this is the first time that I really thought that there's a statistical chance, probably around 15 or 20%, that he is cut. And I, I think that that's fair at this point. Uh, as far as Braden Voco, it sounds like everything's going great. Uh, I know Tyler's obviously very happy about this development. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think Braden Voco, um, just getting in there and making plays and separating himself from Christian Covington and getting guys excited. Um, that is a great thing here just because they need as many, you know, run stuffing DTs as they get, uh, especially for last year. So if you have another guy that is reliable, after Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson, it would be great. And we've heard great things about those two through training camp as well. Um, but yeah, my takeaway from the first week is definitely that Jerry Tillery has lost more than I thought he was capable of losing, I guess. Uh, just in terms of the fact that I still thought he was a lock to make the team heading in here. And I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of camp remaining that could certainly change that and, and so to be fair to jerry tillery of course you have to say the same thing for michael davis but um you know it's just like you you be, you be patient for you know the the pads to come on and you're hoping for these plays to be made whether that come through one-on-one reps or 11 on 11s or whatever and we just haven't heard much about it so um just to be clear in terms of like the the order here, it, it does sound like Braden Fajoko is kind of creating a stranglehold on whether you think it's DT4 or DT5. It, it sounds like he is essentially locking Christian Covington out of the room and saying, this is my spot. So uh, on Monday when they did one-on-ones, Daniel Popper basically laid it out that they had like a first-team group, offensive line, defensive line, and then they shifted in like the second group for both sides. And so Braden Fajoko, uh, Jerry Tillery, Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day, and Austin Johnson were the five uh, first team defensive tackles, if you will. 
And then the next group, Christian Covington was there along with Otito, Forrest Merrill, Andrew Brown, and and I think somebody else that is like an undrafted free agent or something like that. So anytime that there's a, a switch on second team defense, that's where Braden Fajoko is. He's gotten some first team reps as well. And Christian Covington is almost consistently with the third team. So right now the coaching staff is telling us that Fajoko is, is the lead candidate there that really is just going to come down to roster construction because like I think if they keep six, he's safe. But if they have if they're talking about five, mm-hmm. then you're talking about Tillery Fox versus Fajoko or Covington or not Covington, excuse me, Tito versus Fajoko, and then you're talking about draft capital, things like that. So uh, he still needs them to keep six, but if they do, mm-hmm. I think he is safe. Yeah, that's definitely the big question, right? Do they keep six? And then, I mean, right now in terms of performance, he is ahead of Otito. It's just obviously, like you said, the drop pick, the sort of thing. They got to find a way. If they keep fucking Easton Stick or Larry Montreal <laughs> or anybody else over the guy who has like two tackles for loss per practice. I, I mean... I, Cut Brendan Hymas over Fajoko. No offense, but Fajoko's taking his lunch money. Ooh, so I don't, I don't know. Steven's they seen a lot better. Those, those, are, those are close to fighting words, man. <laughs> Steven, Steven was it's much a trench guy for trench guy one. swap. Okay, it's like a big ugly. I'll for take a big it. I'll take it. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You're not, you're not cutting Hymas to keep Easton Stick though. That, that's, that's a fighting word right there. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll move on here. I want to, of course, have to talk about the running back situation. The Chargers have uh, definitely needed some clarity here. Um, So I know that there was some reporting that Isaiah Spiller was taking reps with the first team. According to Daniel Popper, that did not happen until today. Today was the first time that uh, that Isaiah Spiller had consistent time with the first team. He's mostly been with the second and third team. So uh, up until today, it's been Joshua Kelly or Larry Roundtree, sometimes both kind of splitting duties uh, with the first team and second team. So, um, Daniel Popper mentioned yesterday that Spiller's physicality, his burst has really started to show up. Now that they have pads on, they're starting to notice a little bit more of the physicality that Spiller brings to the team. And I think they rightfully are are kind of easing him into potential first team reps. So that's where Spiller stands. There's been a lot of good things said about Joshua Kelly, including by Austin Eckler, who said that he looks like his rookie self. Daniel Popper today said that he's been uh, an explosive back so far throughout camp. Again, Larry Rantry has had some some good moments, sounds like. But reading the tea leaves a little bit here, it does sound like Joshua Kelly is uh, at least beginning to separate himself from Larry Roundtree and uh, any of the undrafted free agents. Uh, my guy Kevin Marks did have a fumble today, so I hate to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where the running back stands, at least from uh, my vantage point right now. Yeah, um, I mean, I, th- I think that Eckler, Kelly, and Spiller, uh, and that's how Popper listed them in his article, by the way, in terms of one, two, three, working with the first team right now. Uh, that seems to be the order, and I guess that I still haven't, like, budged. Well, I guess in that <laughs> roster or uh, training camp battles thing we did, we did put Roundtree first. Okay, addendum to that. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put Kelly as RB2 for now. Uh but yeah, no, I, I still think they end up keeping four running backs. Um, I, I do think we've heard positive enough things about Larry Roundtree and obviously uh, his use on special teams still uh, that they'll keep him and you'll probably run with four 
Uh, I guess the two takeaways from running back for me are that Marks and Brown are done. Uh, <laughs> that much, that yeah. is how it sounds like. Again, maybe one of them, uh, kind of like Eckler said, like makes a big play on like special team scout team that like gets them noticed, but they're certainly not going to be able to get noticed in camp. Uh, and they probably get some run in the preseason, but they're already kind of using the preseason for Kelly Spiller and Roundtree, right? Obviously with Eckler not playing in the preseason. So um, that is kind of like my big takeaway. I think those two are probably out of the running to potentially be an RB3 or an RB4. There was probably a really small chance of that anyway. Um, the Spiller thing is interesting just because I think that they intend for him to kind of start out the season by splitting his reps probably with Joshua Kelly and then having him sort of, you know, increase throughout the season. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like everything is on track for Joshua Kelly to start the season as RB2 or for Kelly and Spiller to sort of start the season as 2A and 2B, if we want to put it that way. Um, because I do think Isaiah Spiller eventually uh, overtakes him. Uh, I, I do think something that plays into this is obviously, you know, Spiller's age and his youth, uh, as much as the coaching staff does believe in him, right? He was the youngest player in the draft. I think they want to kind of like give him time to to marinate in yeah. camp in the preseason before he fully takes that RB2 or even some kind of RB1A, 1B role with Eckler, right? So I think they're going to give that some time. Uh, but pretty clear from all, all indications that you have your three running backs who are running with the first team right now. All of those guys are locks to make the roster and, Roundtree probably makes the rosters sort of where we stand today. Yeah, I actually agree with you that Joshua Kelly probably is RB2 to start the season. I think in terms of rushing attempts, I think that seems like a lock at this point. I do think in terms of rushing attempts, barring some sort of injury, Kelly would be the RB2. Spiller would be more your receiving back. Maybe he'll get more touches, but I think Kelly in terms of rushing attempts is your RB2. As far as the running backs go, I... I, I started the first camp with thinking that oh my gosh they're only keeping three running backs because roundtree barely touched the ball at all and then he fumbled yeah i figured oh okay they're going with three <laughs> running backs and then he fumbled so maybe this is good for kevin marks the next couple of days roundtree was with the first team so i was like okay maybe okay there's just there's just a nice little battle if i go back and forth but it's really the momentum has shifted back and away from roundtree i still think they're going with three running backs i did a 53 man roster projection for our youtube members and patreon supporters only and I didn't have four running backs picking the roster. Could it be Roundtree over Kelly? Sure. But I, I really think that it's three running backs at this point. And I think they have a nice little group going. It's, it's very clear that based on what they're doing, that they want three. They don't know who the third is, or I guess the second, depending on how you look at it. But it, it just really seems like they are going to keep three this year. And, you know, cut Roundtree or not cut, cut Roundtree. Well, yeah, cut Roundtree in favor of someone like Fahoko. God, Tyler, please speak into existence. Please <laughs> just keep going. Well, you know, I think Roundtree's playing it into existence. Yeah. So. You know, I think, you know, again, we'll, we'll learn more about how they're doing in terms of rushing attempts. Right. But, uh, you know, I kind of harken back to what it was like early on in the season where they kind of had Justin Jackson almost exclusively playing as like a receiver role. And then, you know, it was either Roundtree or Kelly were kind of carrying the ball. And, and maybe that's kind of how they start out with Isaiah Spiller and then kind of ease him back into it. Um, somebody did point out to me on Twitter that I guess in rookie mini camps, Joe Lombardi did say something about how young Spiller was and how they might have to be a little bit more like cautious with overloading him because he's not a 22 year old rookie. He's a 20 year old rookie as opposed to somebody like Justin Herbert, who was you know, a bit older or something like that. So 
Um, maybe something to keep an eye on again. Today was the first time, according to Daniel Popper, that he was working with the first team. So hopefully that continues. All right, Alex, it is time to talk about your guy, DeAndre Carter. Um, <laughs> I want to frame it in this sense because Michael Bandy has also been showing up a lot uh, recently, making a lot of plays, working with the first team offense, second team offense, which I think is at least a bit of a surprise. So we didn't necessarily think there was a legitimate battle in terms of like wide receiver five, six, if you will. Uh, but Michael Bandy has kind of made a name for himself. But Mike DeAndre Carter certainly has done that as well. Uh, catching two touchdowns today. He had two really good grabs yesterday, including a touchdown. He's shown up as a receiver, and uh, Brandon Staley spoke very highly of him today um, in, in that regard, saying that he uh, got off to a really good start with Justin Herbert and company right from the gate in, in, in the spring, and they like how they can use him outside, inside, as a ball carrier. So it's, it was a good day for uh, DeAndre Carter Island today. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. It's very disrespectful for you to say he's in a fight with Michael Bandit for wide receiver five <laughs> or six. Frankly, as far as I'm concerned, he's wide receiver three C. All right, that is that is who DeAndre. Sure. Yeah, sure. Everyone gets a trophy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, in terms of their usage of Carter, I mean, now he has what four uh, red zone touchdown attempts when they've done red zone drills. They keep going back his way uh beat michael davis on a play today as well i uh, forget the other guy he beat off the top of my head but it was, i think it was one of the safeties don't remember um he beat but, jt woods yesterday i think i want to say okay yeah jt woods um no I, I just think it's really good for him going forward and you know staley basically said in his press conference today obviously didn't mention like andre roberts and kj hill by name but he basically said you know this guy deandre carter is different right than what we've had previously uh, at the punt returner, kick returner uh, position, right, in the sense that we will be using him uh, in our offense. So I think everything you've heard in camp uh, pretty much lines up with DeAndre Carter being that, like, wide receiver four or five, however you want to put it, um, and them actually using one. Michael Bandy is an interesting one just because, obviously, he was on the team last year. Um, it seems like he has kind of, like, an outside chance to be a wide receiver six that they do end up keeping six receivers, obviously kept five last year. But I got a lot of like uh, Austin Prohl vibes from him uh, sure. sort of last year where Prohl probably would have made the team or made the practice squad how, had he unfortunately not gotten hurt, uh, you know, before the first cuts. And that was kind of all there was there. But if Bandy stays healthy and he's probably one of the only reliable like special teams offensive guys they have, uh, it's pretty hard for him to not make the team uh, or, or pretty hard for him to not make that like team slash practice squad, uh, let's say. So I think that uh, everything you're hearing about Michael Bandy and the fact that he can contribute to the offense in addition to what he does on special teams, I think is uh, very good for him so far as well. But uh, yeah, DeAndre Carter Island is having a fun time <laughs> and you know, wide receiver 3C, here we come. Uh, but yeah, no, I am uh, excited for both of them. But I think everything is going pretty well with the receiver so far it's working out very well it seems like the guys i mean listen they got two guys making 20 million dollars all that's good and taken care of but you have this investment in palmer last year and it looks like he's doing very well you signed carter he's been i think better than we expected so far we're yeah. in no nfl games yet but it looks fantastic you have bandy a guy you kind of took a chance on last year who got a tiny bit of game action he looks great I think the only thing that's preventing Banny from making this roster outside of stupid personnel decisions is DeAndre Carter. Like if they had Carter as 
only their return guy, like a like like um not Hopkins Roberts last year, then yeah, Bandy has a shot. But Carter is so involved as a receiver that that's kind of pushing Bandy off. But Bandy's showing out really well as well, and I, I think that he is again unlike Roundry, unlike Stick, unlike some other people worthy of a roster spot. Um, but Carter, harken back to that first video I did with Carter. Like I said, hey, there's a chance that watching Carter, knowing what he can do, the Chargers may convince themselves to not go receiver at 17. We'll never really know exactly what they were going to do at 17 because they didn't have you know, one of their premium options there. But it seems like they're moving forward with Carter as this big part of their plan. And shoot, he's crushing it. I would love to see him yeah. with the first team. You know, again, we were seeing four touchdowns the last two days thrown by Chase Daniels, thrown by Easton Stick. You know, I think I want to see, or maybe I could be wrong, um, but I feel like he was facing the, the second team defense. So I'd like to see him face some of these better corners. You know, how do you match up against JC Jackson? How do you match up against sure. Sunday Samuel Jr., Bryce Callahan? Um, I think Bryce Callahan did break up a pass on him day two, um, but he's, he's doing fantastic. And I think the Chargers, if they feel like they missed out on a receiver at 17, maybe that's what they absolutely wanted. They should feel really good about the moves that they made either before that, after that, whatever, to build out the receiving core. This is a very nice one through five. And so far, like, I really needed them to convince me that Carter was worth bringing in over Roberts. Roberts being a second team all pro returner. Like you have to really convince me that on offense, it was worth bringing Carter in. And so far, he absolutely has. Yeah, I, I've been pleasantly surprised with Carter's vertical ability. Because I, I think when you watch what he did in Washington, it's a lot of, um, you know, shorter routes, intermediate routes, whether that be bubble screens, handoffs, drags, slants, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, he had a, a, a go route that was a contested catch situation, I believe, on Monday um, that he he converted for a big gain, if I'm remembering correctly, from Daniel Popper. Um, you know, he had a go route uh, touchdown yesterday that he beat JT Woods on. So if he can offer them a lot of vertical threat ability, then I think, you know, you're talking about, an, you know, a, another speed up op option outside of Jalen Guyton, which I think just gives them a lot of flexibility. And, you know, you're talking about Donald Parham taking a bigger role in the vertical schemes as well. So I've been pleasantly surprised there. I was expecting him to be mostly a short area guy, um, which they certainly have a plan to do. It sounds like they're handing the ball off to him at least like once a day. Uh, getting him involved in short uh, screens or drags and things like that. Because I think early on in the season when they were trying to figure out who was going to be that guy before Roberts came along, before they wanted to get Jalen Guyton involved, they did a lot of short area things with Keenan Allen. And I love Keenan Allen, but <laughs> that's just not who he is, man. So uh, if they can get DeAndre Carter as well as Gerald Everett, you know, he's certainly a part of that conversation. Just those opportunities for yards after contact, yards after catch, I think that's going to do a lot of good for the offense in terms mm -hmm. of its overall efficiency, create some uh, missed tackle opportunities as well. So um, not necessarily surprised that Carter is excelling in the short areas, but what he's done vertically so far has definitely been a pleasant surprise. Alex, uh, you're, Alex muted. you're muted. Yeah, so he beat Dean Leonard uh, per Daniel Popper's article on a go route that went for a 20 yard touchdown. Then Jumped over Michael Davis uh, le on the leaping catch in the end zone, toe-tapping uh, toe feet in the corner to get both feet down. Uh, pretty impressive to jump over a guy who's 6'3", I guess. Yeah, um, Carter, I think, is like 5'9". Yeah, he, he's not a big guy. Um, maybe that says a little bit more about Michael Davis there than it does DeAndre <laughs> Carter, but I will take it either way. Uh, so that's good. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think Tyler made a great point, great point about the draft uh, in terms of the Chargers. You know, obviously, Jamison Williams was a rumor before, you know, he got taken by the Lions. Um, but it was like, hey, we need speed in this offense, right? So that was the whole thing with wide receiver at 17 um, this year in particular for Chargers fans who wanted that. And, of course, DeAndre Carter is not Jamison Williams in, in any way as a prospect or a player. But if you're adding that speed threat because Jalen Guyton is really the only other speed option you have uh, in your wide receiver group. So having mm-hmm. another player who is probably even faster than Jalen Guyton and, you know, has more tangible speed on kick returns, punt returns, as opposed to, you know, kind of just the straight line go routes. Um, I think that that has, you know, taken this Chargers receiver group to uh, a bit of another level here and added another dimension to the whole thing. Yeah, Guyton so far, it's been a bit frustrating watching him, not necessarily just because of him, because the quarterbacks just, it has to be like, he'll beat somebody, JT Woods, Dean Leonard, whatever. And it has to be this perfect ball that has to be placed, you know, at this certain spot to get to Guyton, who does have a step on the, the corner, but it has to be perfect. If it's contested, if it's slightly you know away from him to the outside, whatever, not really getting to it down the sideline. And that's so far, maybe I've missed it in the last, been the last couple of days. But so far, Guyton's been relegated to just being that outside vertical threat, which is fine. That's a good skill set for him, and he's good at it. But, you know, Carter being able to work all over the field, I think, just opens things up more. And someone did ask in the chat, you know, is Carter ahead of Guyton as wide receiver, you know, 3F or whatever? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't think that's the case, but I actually think that he could be eventually. Uh, We'll see. Right now, again, Guyton is working more with Herbert. Uh, They do have that rapport. Haven't seen a lot of Herbert to Carter yet, so maybe that changes. Um, the other thing, though, that you pointed out, and I, I forgot to mention, is you know Keenan Allen doing all that pre-snap motion sort of stuff, having to do the quick screens or whatever. Like, it seems like through camp, that's no longer the case for Keenan Allen. There's, sure, oh, they might throw a, yeah, they might throw a screen his way, and they did throw a screen his way, which he threw back across the field to Austin Eckler. Like, it seems like they're moving away from that being Keenan Allen's role because he's not. That's not his thing. He's good at yeah. other things. And watching him for 17 games now, it's very clear that is is what he does best, other than go routes, is attacking downfield. Uh, slants as well, of course, because he's Keenan Allen, but he can work and win downfield. You don't want to put him in the pre-snap motion. Don't waste him, you know, because he motioned behind the line of scrimmage and you know dump it off to him. Don't waste it throwing a screen to him. Let Carter do that because he's good at that. Yeah. So if that also opens up Keenan Allen to work downfield more, huge, huge for the offense. Yeah, so you know, basically what I'm referring to here, so everybody kind of kind of understands, like the the Chargers run a, a ton of advantage read, run pass options, and they build them into basically every single rushing attempt that's not like a counter or a trap that's involving like a pulling guard. If they're just running like a duo or outside zone, like there's almost always a passing read built in for Justin Herbert, and a lot of the times that involves like a Keenan Allen bubble, like he's running a bubble route. And so people will say like, oh, they're just running screens, but that's not really what's happening. You know, they're running in an RPO deliberately to try and create some extra yards for um, for the offense. And sometimes that involves throwing a bubble route to Keenan Allen. And it's like, he'll get you the four free yards, but, you know, for the most part, he's not really giving you much after the free yards. And so I think, you know, making those opportunities for DeAndre Carter, Gerald Everett, even Josh Palmer, I feel like would just be, a more efficient way of, of attacking things. So I still think Jalen Guyton is going to have a role on this team. I still think from a reps perspective, he's going to be wide receiver four, 
mm-hmm. but because of uh, Carter's ability to carry the football, if you told me that Carter had more touches by the end of the season, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. But uh, I, I still definitely think from a snaps perspective that Jalen Guyton will be wide receiver four for this team. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing that you bring up the RPOs because, um, you know, you, you have a team or sort of what the Chargers are trying to do right now is a little bit similar to what the uh, 2017 Eagles did with like very RPO heavy stuff, uh, you know, with Carson Wentz and that offense. And that offense in general was a little bit more anonymous because other than Alshon Jeffrey, it's not like they had like some huge playmaker who separated themselves from the rest of the roster versus, you know, this Chargers team has Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, who are clearly wide receiver one and two. You have Eckler, who's clearly running back one. Um, but I think if you run a heavy RPO offense, it just allows you to get more options involved uh, and allows you to have just more tangible threats on the field, right? Even if the ball's not going to DeAndre Carter, just the defense having to account for him, right, is such a big thing versus yeah. some of the previous iterations of, like, the Chargers offense, where it's like, yeah, we, we don't, have to worry like a whole lot that like Justin Jackson's on the field if you're not going to use him right like in that kind of sense uh so I think that yeah this this incarnation Chargers offense uh you know just having everyone as like a tangible threat on the field uh, I think is going to be uh very successful if if the wide receivers uh the yeah. wide receiver room holds up yeah and that was one thing that you know, I hearkening back to last summer when I interviewed Jeff Duncan, who covers the Saints and who wrote, you know, the the Sean Payton and Drew Brees book. Is that something that he talked about um, from a receiver's perspective? Is that the Saints wanted every single receiver to be able to run every single route? Like they're they were never into the whole idea of like this guy runs go routes, this guy only runs screen routes, something like that. At least in theory, they want every receiver to run every single route. I know. Tyler's done some great work charting Mike Williams, who mostly runs go routes, but like he does have the threat of running, you know, drags, slants, things like that, hook routes, stick routes. So there at least has to be that threat there. So I think that's an important point to point about uh, Jalen Guyton as well as DeAndre Carter. So um, anything else, you guys, from uh, position battles that you wanted to uh, mention from over the past few days? Uh, no, I think we covered everything, honestly. We did. All right, so uh, we'll take some questions now. I've seen some in the chat that we'll try and get to. Um, have to, of course, give a shout out to Tyler's mom for the super sticker. I always appreciate those. Um, and as always, if you want to make sure your question gets answered, uh, the super chat feature is enabled. So we'll take questions for about 10 minutes um, and then we'll uh, get out of here for the day. It looks like we got Ross in the chat. So Ross was the winner of my Joey Bosa giveaway jersey the other day. So shout out to Ross. Appreciate the support. Uh, Howard Strike says J.K. Scott MVP. There's a lot of buzz around J.K. Scott right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, booming 70-yard punts in practice and, you know, over five-second hang time. So, I really hope the guy is able to get back to what he was in 2019 and 2020. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's going to be a, a rough year. He's got a lot of pressure on him to perform. So I'm not fully on the J.K. Scott train yet, but, uh, you know, it's it's uh, looking good so far. I'll say that. From Kyle Tucker, how glad are you we didn't <laughs> draft Trevor Penning? Oh, here we go. Oh, my gosh. 
three fights in three days from Trevor Penning. He got kicked out of practice today. Um, their coach, Dennis Allen, was not happy about it happening again today. Um, I think that they, there is a clear old culture mentality behind Trevor Penning. And, you know, there, there used to be this, like, just fighting and practice culture in football that thankfully we have mostly moved past because it just – it serves no purpose. It, this benefits nobody. You know, he gets kicked out of practice a half hour into practice today. He's trying to earn his spot in the Saints offensive line rotation and working with the backups. This guy needs these reps. Like, you are doing a disservice to yourself, and then you're also putting your teammates in danger. Like, one of the the videos from yesterday, the guy he, like, tried to take to the ground bent over so awkwardly. I thought he was going to tear his ACL. So, uh, I hate to say I told you so to everybody who was a fan of Trevor Penning, but I'm not surprised at this, and uh, the guy needs to figure it out. Otherwise, his own team is going to, like, vote him off the island. Like, you got to trade this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, look, we all said this when we talked about Trevor Penning as a draft prospect uh, during the draft. It was just like, well, like, yeah, this guy has high physical upside. You look at his build, you look at what he can be, but um, he also commits 500 penalties a game, and he <laughs> is just like, all over the place when it comes to his temperament right yeah. and he, and th- those are things that like teams consider yeah maybe you can coach the penalties out of him maybe you can coach fighting out of him <laughs> um maybe you can do those things and the saints took a chance on it and it, it still very well might pay off if you can sure. get trevor penning to his sure. potential but um i just don't never thought that was the risk over a prospect like zion johnson over a prospect like one of the receivers they could have taken a quarterback Right. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, that was never the right choice at 17. And also, <laughs> it's very clear that he's not ready to start out the gate right now. Imagine if we had like a petting Pipkins Norton like, <laughs> fight for the right tackle spot <laughs> while he's fighting people. Um, like that oh, certainly man. would have been an interesting storyline. But uh yeah no i i just never bought the trevor penning thing and as as sky high as his potential was i just thought there were too many things to fix um as opposed to any of the other prospects they drafted yep did all of that i i hope he turns out to be a fantastic player i'm happy that we don't really have to find out on the chargers at least I know, and some uh, some Saints fans found my tweets this morning, and they're all loving it, man. They think it's fantastic, and I'm like, you guys are crazy, man. This is this is not beneficial to anybody at all. Like, you can be aggressive no. and not be an asshole. Like, you know, should be. Smart. I mean, they literally root for the team responsible for Bounty Gate. I'm not terribly surprised that is fans true. are. That is very true. Uh, question from Brian Lowe. I'm going to guess. I hope that's, I, I hope I guessed right. Uh, backup quarterback for the next three years, Easton Stick, Chase Daniel, or draft pick. I assume this means after this season, and if that's the mm. case, uh, I'm choosing a draft pick. Spend a seventh rounder on Brad Sorensen again and uh, figure it out that way. I'll go Daniel. Why not? I mean, he's just, <laughs> he's been there. He'll pick up his one-year, $4 million contracts for the rest of his life. Um, they seem to like having him in the quarterback room, obviously from, from the outset, it was just like a Staley, uh, pick one of the like first free agents they signed. 
Yeah. So I think that they're comfortable having Daniel as the QB two. And obviously if Justin Herbert goes down, you're fucked anyway. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, yeah, I, I could see it's definitely not going to be stick. Um, I think Daniel sticks around with as QB two. And if they want to keep a third quarterback after uh, stick expires next year, then they go the route in the draft. For what it's worth, Chase Daniel will turn 36 in October. Does it matter? He's a pack. <laughs> <laughs> like, how long have like, I, I'm sure there are like 40 year old backups all the time. I mean, yeah. He's played like 14 snaps though, you know, so it's not the age. Yeah. The yeah. Mileage. <laughs> the mileage uh, is sure. strong. Sure. I think it would be Daniel. I think if they had drafted someone this year, then yeah, they think you can have him sit for a year, then transition to that backup. But Stakes gone, or is going to be gone, I would assume. And then next year, they wouldn't draft a rookie to be the backup. So I think if it's not Daniel, then that it's some sort of veteran. And if that's the case, like unless they're worried about Daniel's age, I think it is going to be Chase Daniel. How old is Brian Hoyer? He's like 75 at this point. So I mean, like <laughs> at this point, he's like the same thing as like Daniel. But yeah, look, Brian, backup Hoyer. quarterback. Um, I think I Tua think they're probably the rate. same age. I would guess they're the same age. Brian Hoyer is a year older, so he's oh. he's already yeah, thirty six. Exactly. He'll turn thirty seven mm-hmm. in October. Uh, for a backup quarterback, for for what they want, unless you're having like some, uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor Justin Herbert dynamic where there's like, oh, it's a competition for QB one, right? Um, unless it's a scenario like that, then I think teams especially with top-end quarterbacks anyway, like a Mahomes, like a Rodgers. Rodgers in a bit of a different position with the Jordan Love thing. Uh, but, you know, uh, Mahomes has had, like, Chad Henney and all these guys. Josh Allen's had Trubisky yeah. and people come through. Uh, so, you yeah. Teresa said bring back Tyrod Taylor. Honestly, Tyrod is welcome back in Los Angeles anytime he wants. Exactly. Take another stab at it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> And that's why Andrew Whitworth follows me right there. There you go. There you go. So Castline wants to know thoughts on Leatherwood potentially starting the Hall of Fame games. Obviously, the Raiders have the Hall of Fame game tomorrow night. I've also heard that Alex Leatherwood has been working with the third team offense. So potentially behind an undrafted free agent at guard and behind a six round uh, Thayer Munford at right tackle. So <laughs> oh. I don't know, man. It's kind of a mess there. At least the Raiders yeah. want him on their team. Tevin Jenkins getting shipped out already. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I, I would take either one at right tackle. <laughs> I think starting the Hall of Fame game is, uh, yeah, that's uh, that tells you what the team thinks about you. Kevin Kernick said, Andy Dalton will need a job next year. Sure. Fine. How old is Andy Dalton? Like 32, 33? Uh, is he sure. old? I would think so. I guess he was drafted in like 2014. But he, oh, he's think... not. He, he turns 30 in October. All these guys are October no. birthdays. How funny. Hmm, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. He's 34 right now. Yeah, so I, he couldn't be 30. Yeah, I, no. I was thinking, yeah, he... When did he? First thing I read was October 29th. That's his birthday. And I, I read that as he's 29. Yeah, because so. I, I think he came out 2012 after TCU. I don't remember. Man, that makes me feel so old. I remember the Andy Dalton, Brian Johnson, Mountain West, TCU, oh, Utah yeah. battles back in the day. Yeah. Rose Bowl champion, Andy Dalton. 
Did they win the Rose Bowl? Yeah, they did. They beat Wisconsin, right? Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Back in the day before the conferences shifted 80 times. <laughs> I know. Uh, quick shout out to Brent Kincaid for the super sticker. Appreciate that one. Um, anything else? I didn't really see anybody. Not a ton question. of questions. A lot of comments on things. I think you hit most of it. I see. I mean, I see people asking about Tiller being traded. I don't think that happens. Can we talk about Robert Sala saying Joe Flacco is a starting caliber <laughs> quarterback today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as Clinton points out, he, he says he could see us pulling an Allen Trubisky dynamic, maybe Darnold or Flacco. Listen, like I think if you look at the backup quarterback spot as as potential trade chips or potential comp picks, I think that's a good way to yeah. go about things. And you know, I, I think the Bills got a six round comp pick for Mitchell Trubisky this year, so yeah. um, I'm definitely not opposed to that kind of approach and and taking shots on those kind of guys because, like Alex said, like you know, the QB two is essentially another it's another quarterback assistant coach. Like you're not really getting like a ton of value from that person so i mean you you can take some chances there on draft picks you can take chances there on um what's the word i'm looking for um reclamation projects players like that like trubisky darnold stuff like that so i assume they got a low-end comp pick for tyron taylor too right back in the day who the bills no i mean the chargers oh yeah we the chargers had a uh, they got a six-round pick this year out of tyrod yeah, so I mean, a similar concept in, in theory there. Um, I don't know if anyone's going to buy Darnold or Flacco to like be their QB ones or like QB one competition guys, but there's going to be plenty of guys that you know get let go or you know just uh, move on to different situations. Yeah, because the, the Texans signed uh, Tyrod to a decent contract, if I remember correctly. Don't remember off the top of my head. I'm looking on over the cap right now. Yeah, so the Texans signed him to a two-year, ten million dollar deal. Um, then they cut him this year. So the Chargers got a. I think they got a six-round pick for him. The one that I can think of off the top of my head would be like Daniel Jones QB two, and then like you pawn him off to some team that like lets him fight for a job again after he looks good sitting on the bench behind Justin Herbert. <laughs> like that's the only one that like comes to my head in the vein of the vein of Trubisky, but out here I can't find your question, man. So I, really I was looking for the same but... thing. Yeah, I can't find uh, it. Yeah. I've scrolled all the way up top, so I don't know. Oh, good question here from Brian again. After the early camp, early training camp crowds think the narrative starts to change for the Bolts. No. I think it's certainly helped. I mean, good for, good morning, Football America talked about it today. Pat McAfee has talked about it. So I think it doesn't hurt, right? But this has to change in games. Like this, this is a game issue. This isn't a yeah. training camp issue. Uh, like Tyler pointed out on Saturday. Danny Hoyt asked how many people at the training camp were season ticket holders, and it was like 10% in the crowd or something like that. Yeah. It was, I couldn't really tell who was a season ticket holder. It seemed like a good quarter or so. But yeah, then he asked who wasn't a season ticket holder, and it was just like, oh, we're all not season ticket holders. And it was, yeah, yeah it was, it was unfortunate. I expect to be 
in the 10% of Chargers fans versus 90% of Raiders fans that are there week one. It's just the way it is. Chargers fans pay to go to games too. They'll just go to the free stuff. All right. Pay for some stuff too. Yeah. Um, very uncontroversial thing to be like, oh, here's $5 for my training camp ticket. I'll take it uh, versus $500 for games with yeah. SoFi Stadium prices, I would imagine. Um, I, I think it's a good thing, right? I mean, it's definitely a good change from previous training camps, um, both pre and post uh, COVID uh, that, that we've seen for the Chargers. So it's definitely an upgrade from what we've seen from them in the past. But the big test is going to be when the Raiders come to town. The big test is going to be, obviously, when the Chiefs come to town and, and situations like that. Um, or even like last year, um, e- even though the Chargers had more fans that game, uh, the, the Patriots won as an example where there were just some like empty seats, right? So in the stadium was like three-fourths, two-thirds full, right? So that's kind of like another situation where I know people talk about like attendance and sold tickets where the Chargers are doing well. And you know, it's like, well, duh, they're doing well because they play in a 70,000-seat stadium. So it's kind of hard to not do well, right, if you're yeah. talking about attendance. So um, it's definitely a good start. Um, and I think the Chargers are on the pathway, having Herbert and having all these things to, to doing better eventually. Um, but does anyone want to put a bet that there's 40% Chargers fans at the Raiders game? Does anyone want to put that that there's <laughs> that there's you know forty percent Chargers fans even like against the Broncos when they come to town with Russell Wilson? I don't uh, think so. that one might be maybe. slightly more likely, you know. But like I, I still think the Chargers are kind of in that position, so they're definitely building. They're gonna get to a point where it's like you know you have Chargers Giants last year where it's an overwhelming amount of Chargers fans in the stadium for sure, uh, but you know they are still building towards it it's it's a long-term process it's not going to be one or two seasons like people on social media want it to be yeah i think like the chargers have made a ton of progress with the fans and i think you know there are certain certainly games from last year that was a little bit unfair but i look at like the chiefs game on thursday night last year as as a way that the chargers made a ton of progress i mean when i was there for the browns game it was like 70 percent chargers fans the, the the test is always going to be like the higher mm-hmm. profile games. You know, you're talking about week one versus the Raiders. You're talking about Monday night football versus the Broncos that Alex, is, Alex mentioned. So those yeah. are the games that will really shift the narrative. You know, if we get a CBS broadcast always talking about Raiders fans, then it's going to continue yeah. to be an issue or Monday night football where they're talking about Raiders fans or Broncos fans or whatever. So um, it needs to change and it needs to specifically change in primetime games for people to like really stop kind of hammering that point over our heads but um this is a good thing it absolutely is a good thing that more people are at training camp mm-hmm. uh i know karen shout out karen uh posted a picture of her at training camp from like the first year in la 2017 and it was her and like 35 other people <laughs> so uh the fan base has certainly come a long way and uh and, you know it's great to see that those people are all showing out to training camp so uh, continue to go. I'm very jealous of anybody that gets to be at training camp. Wish I could make it down this year. So be sure to keep showing up. It's a results-based thing too. Um, as Absolutely. we see with the Chargers, right? If they get out to a slow start again, it's like, okay, well, you know, they're two and four and you know, that, that makes it hard to like build momentum versus you go back to that 2018 year where, you know, they're on that like 12 and four pace towards the end of the season. And even though they were struggling at StubHub, they ended up having that Saturday night game against the Ravens where, 
after they ended up losing that game, but they had a like really good number of fans in that stadium for, for what it was at that time. Uh, so I, I think it's just about getting those results and getting those wins. And if you get out to a seven and two, eight and three kind of start, um, I, I think it would really get some momentum on their side. You want to change the narrative in any particular game this year. Maybe the Raiders game would be nice. It's the Rams game. You, yeah. you like that is going to be the most yeah. talked about Chargers Rams fan attendance of any of the games this year. You have to, like Chargers fans have to be 51% that game. We're going to hear about it for years that it's the Rams in LA. That's also a tough game though because I feel like that's going to be a game where a lot of celebrities and a lot of people like that come. So like do Chargers and Rams fans end up buying tickets or do they just get outbid by like high profile people? I don't know. Like I, I definitely think that is one of the games, but um, yeah, I mean, aim to go to every game. If, if you have the financial capabilities for that, no, uh, I sure don't, but uh, so <laughs> it would be, I mean, you're also going to be in a foreign country and that too. I would actually be back in America for the Rams game if I wanted to go to that, but uh, <laughs> ticket prices. <laughs> see what those. See what yeah. it's like in that game. Um, Sunday night football tickets on New Year's Day. Yeah, that's gonna be. Uh, <laughs> that's gonna be a fun one. More capital that I have room for. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I would just say anyone who wants to buy tickets, you know, buy tickets. But um, the Chargers have approached this issue like it's a long-term issue, and they're slowly on the path to fixing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the Chargers are going to continue to make progress, right? Like with this this quarterback and this offense and this team, as long yeah. as they keep winning, they'll continue to make progress, and I, I think they're on the right track there. So, uh, Tyler, any final thoughts today, man, before we head out for the evening? Nope, just been having fun. Can't wait to go see more padded practices. Yeah, so if you are not following Tyler, I don't know what you're doing at this point. Uh, he's posting a ton of great content at uh on twitter about training camp uh make sure you have our notifications on because tyler does uh all of those quick recaps after each practice that he attends to great information there so make sure and check those out alex uh any final thoughts man nope all right so alex is back at uh bolt beat make sure and check Mm -hmm. that out he did uh, an article about deandre carter and joshua kelly and uh, over the past couple of weeks as well. So lots of content coming your guys' way. Of course, we'll be going live uh, on Saturday after that practice. And then we're also going live on Sunday night uh, after the scrimmage. So we'll have two shows uh, this weekend. So stay tuned for those. As always, if you are listening to this on a podcast platform of your choice, be sure to leave us a rating or review. Always appreciate that. That being said, that's going to do it. Have a good week. We'll talk to you guys later. Bolt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.